mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, it's a program to encourage civics education and community involvement among middle school students. Registration is now open for the National Civics Bee. From the U.S. Chamber of Commerce Foundation and local chambers around the country, we'll have details. Also this morning, showing our thanks for all who have served. The Library of Congress wants to preserve your stories as part of their ongoing Veterans History Project. And happening around town, it wouldn't be Thanksgiving without the annual Turkey Trot 5K to benefit the Women's Resource Center. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Monday, November 20th, 2023. So what did you do this weekend? Um, My uh, wife decked the halls. That was... (laughs) I was uh, I was out of town over the weekend, um, and uh, when I got home yesterday uh, from my weekend away, um, my wife had committed a committed a Christmas. She had committed a full out Christmas <laughs> in the house, uh, and I know what some folks will say: it's too early to deck the halls yet. Not until after Thanksgiving, and I I have to admit, uh, I have been one of those people myself that uh i kind of like to wait until after thanksgiving but my wife has always been real eager and um it's one of those things that i just let her do her thing and she you know puts her uh puts the decorations up early and trims the tree and hangs the lights and all of that but maybe she is on to something according to a pair of psychoanalysts in a world full of stress and anxiety people like to associate Things that like to associate with things that make them happy. And Christmas decorations evoke those strong feelings of childhood and warm memories and so on. This is according to uh, psychoanalyst Steve McKeon. Um, One of his contemporaries, uh, Amy Morin, agrees with that and goes on to say that nostalgic memories and holiday decorations can even help us connect with those who have passed on and are no longer with us. So go ahead and set up your tree before Thanksgiving. Uh, if it makes you, if it makes you happy, if it's something that is uh, makes you feel good, then why not? So there you go. That's no uh, problem whatsoever to go ahead and deck the halls if you must. <laughs> A lot of folks are going to be traveling uh, this week. Airlines anticipating record travel demand. For Thanksgiving. Now, we mentioned last week AAA is uh, anticipating what is upwards of 60 million people. It's like 57 and some odd million people who are going to be uh, traveling for Thanksgiving. And they are estimating about what five or six million people are going to fly. But the Transportation Security Administration, the TSA, expecting to screen 30 million passengers between. Uh, in the period that started on Friday and will continue through the Monday after Thanksgiving. 30 million passengers, they say, uh, are going to be screened by the TSA. Uh, the Sunday after Thanksgiving predicted to be the busiest day at airports. 2.9 million passengers on that day alone. And I don't know if you've been following this, but uh, whew, there's uh, weather concerns this weekend. Storm system uh, that is... Currently out west and going to be moving across the nation over the course of the week. So it could wreak havoc with those airline schedules. So everybody watching to see how the airlines manage all of the travelers and the storms and everything else. By the way, speaking of travel, uh, the uh, TSA is out with their list of which Thanksgiving foods you can fly with. During the holiday, um, while most foods can be carried through airport airport checkpoints, uh, some need to be checked into your baggage. Uh, TSA officials say if it is a solid item like baked goods, meats, stuffing, or casseroles, it can go through a checkpoint. So stuffing would be considered a solid food. Um, if you can spill it, spread it, spray it. Pump it or pour it, 
and it's larger than 3.4 ounces, though, then it needs to go into a checked bag. So that means your cranberry sauce, your gravy, your apple cider, (laughs) all of those things, uh, that goes in checked luggage. I would imagine in a in a uh, tight-fitting container. You know, don't just pour your gravy into the into the luggage. You want to make sure that that's... Don't put it in just a little Tupperware. You know, you need to make sure that that's... Because that would not be good. But if you are traveling by air to a potluck, <laughs> now you know. Um, I don't know, the gel- Jello molds. Would that be a solid? I I don't think I would chance it. If it was... Of course, I wouldn't take Jello on a plane anyway, but I don't think you can take that through uh, checkpoint. I could be wrong, but I would not. Uh, I would not ch- uh, chance it. So, anyway, the Thanksgiving foods, you know, the Jello molds. So I don't think you can take those through uh, security. That's not going to work. So, just something to keep in mind. You're off to the airport this week. This is kind of interesting. Speaking of travel, I saw this on the uh, news newswire, and I got a chuckle out of this. Uh, If you're struggling to figure out what to get for someone for Christmas, um, because we're coming into that season here, uh, maybe instead of celebrating the holidays at all, maybe you should just send someone on vacation by themselves. 45% of Americans said that they would prefer a solo vacation instead of celebrating the holidays. This is a, uh, a new survey. Now, mind you, this was commissioned by ALG Vacations, so there might be some home cooking there. But 27% of respondents said a vacation means a vacation away from family. And 53% say they need a break from work. 49% want time away from their spouse. And 46% are looking for time away from their kids. So 45% of Americans overall would prefer a solo vacation and to not celebrate the holiday at all. Well, that's that's cheery, isn't it? The average American, it says, will spend $1,500 on holiday travel this year. So make of that what you will, but <laughs> um, you go to the airport to head home to see family or whatever. Uh, this holiday, and you see a lot of solo travelers. Now you know what's going on. They're just they're getting away. Not going to be celebrating the holidays. They're going to be vacationing solo. It's crazy. Uh, this is the time of the year when you get all of those year-end lists, and we've talked about uh, a few of them. Here is the uh, latest. Americans, it says, save saved nearly $2,000 and paid off three debts on average in 2023. This is according to a recent survey from the financial management app Chime. Uh, You may have that on your mobile device. 93% of Americans had financial goals in 2023. 93% of us set those financial goals, including paying off debts, having a certain amount in savings, sticking to a budget, and spending less on non-essential items. Uh, The average respondent... um, Spent $744 shopping online and $702 at in-person retailers this year. And uh, we ended up saving, on average, $2,000 paying off three debts. So how does your year financially compare uh, to that in the survey? With the new year comes new goals, according to Janelle uh, Salanave of Chime. Results show that 44% of respondents are hoping to take another crack at this year's goals, and 47% are hoping to improve their financial planning in 2024. I don't know that... Did I pay off three debts? I know I paid off one, one big one uh, for me this year. Uh, So I had one big one. Um, I don't know if I had three or not in any event. No, two. I'm sorry. I had two. I did have two uh, debts. So, so, yeah. Um, so, I'm getting close. Uh, here's another uh, year-end, uh, I don't know if it's a list necessarily, but um, according to new data from the University of California, new study, American women are now living almost six years longer than men. This is because... They say the COVID pandemic disproportionately impacted males. 
Men are also more likely to pass due to unintentional injuries. <laughs> Women are much less likely to say, hold my beer. Um, <laughs> men more likely to uh, pass away because of accidents, suicide, and drug overdoses. When it comes to life expectancy, the gender gap, gap has been growing since 2010. Um, so, and now it's six years, six years between uh, women and men. Women are expected to live uh, longer. And this may be the most disturbing news of the day. I saw this on the uh, Newswire, and I knew this is definitely one of the first things we need to share this morning. The last U.S. coffee production plant has shut down. The last plant producing coffee in the U.S. has shut down. It was in... Freehold, New Jersey, a Nestle plant, and uh, the company ended production at the plant, putting 225 people out of work. Nestle is moving its entire operation to Mexico and Brazil as a cost-saving measure after 75 years of making coffee in the U.S. The uh, Freehold plant was Nestle's only remaining coffee production facility in America. What What in the world is going on here. I mean, I, I saw that. And I was, well, women may live six years longer than men, but what's the point? <laughs> now, no, we're not going to have a shortage of coffee by any stretch. That would never happen. But it is a bit bittersweet. No pun intended to know that it's not going to be made in the U.S. anymore. There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Monday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchak. Your WTOL 11 weather, partly cloudy today, a high in the upper 40s, mostly cloudy tonight, uh, low around 40. A former Northwest Ohio priest who earlier in the year was convicted of some disturbing charges involving minors has been sentenced to life in prison. Back in May, a jury found Michael Zacharias guilty of five sex trafficking counts, including some involving minors. The crimes happened between 1999 and 2020. Prosecutors said he used his position to target underage victims and use their drug addiction as a way to coerce them into sex. He was a priest at St. Michael the Archangel Parish in Findlay and St. Catharines in Toledo. In court, he was sentenced to life on two counts against him and 20 years on three other counts. I'm Dan Cummins. The Ohio Department of Transportation is expecting to begin construction on the new Interstate 75 County Road 99 interchange on the north end of Finley in the spring. We spoke with ODOT construction engineer Dan Neese about the project, which will be a diverging diamond interchange. It's um, definitely a big project for us here in District 1. It's going to be the first one in the area. Like I said, I think the closest one's up in Perrysburg, so we're definitely excited to to get it built and um, excited to see it get to construction. As Dan mentioned, there's a successful example of a diverging diamond interchange in Perrysburg at I-475 and State Route 25. Get more of our conversation with him about this upcoming project and this story on our website. Finley City Schools is on fall break this week. Fall break will run from today through Friday. Students will return to school on Monday, November 27th. You can check out the full school district calendar in the story on our website. The Cincinnati Bengals announcing that an injury to quarterback Joe Burrow's throwing hand will keep him out for the rest of the season. This is the second time in his young career that Burrows suffered a season-ending injury. For the Bengals and Cincinnati, though, this obviously changes so much of the season. A team trying for their third straight AFC Championship game appearance still very much in the playoff hunt. So if they're going to try to get back there, it's got to be on the arm of their backup, Jake Browning. They do get a few extra days to figure it out before the Steelers come to Paycor next Sunday. I'm Adam Kick. And don't forget, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. I have some really cool information to share with middle school students. We're talking 6th, 7th, and 8th graders and their parents this morning in partnership with local and state chambers of commerce across the country. The third annual National Civics Bee is coming up here in 2024. And joining us is Hillary Crow, Vice President of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce Foundation with more details. Hillary, tell us more about this competition, the National Civics Bee, what it is, what the goal is and why it's important. Absolutely. Thanks, Chris. So the National Civics Bee is a nationwide competition 
organization that encourages young Americans to engage in civics and contribute to their communities. Middle school students in grades 6, 7, and 8 can flex their civics knowledge for a chance to win recognition and cash prizes. Our real goal is to increase civic knowledge in every community across the country and to connect with middle school students for the National Civic Day. So let's talk a little bit about the nuts and bolts here. This uh, is similar to like the spelling bee that we're all familiar with, right? In that it starts at the local level and then goes up from there all the way to the national competition, right? Yeah. So this is a civics-based competition. And how it works is that we've partnered with local and state chambers currently across 27 states. You can go to nationalcivicsbee.org to learn more and see a map of 27 states that are participating this year and the portal opened yesterday so submissions can be entered today through january 8th is the deadline okay how it works is sixth seventh and eighth grade students can go to our website nationalcivicsbee.org click apply they will submit an essay 500 words or less about an issue in their community and how they can use civics to improve or solve it and the top 20 scoring essays those students are invited to compete in a local competition where they will answer civics-based quiz questions. The top finalists at each local competition then advance to the state-level competition. And the state champions are then invited to compete at the national level in the National Civics Bee hosted in Washington, D.C. So you mentioned that there are prizes awarded to the winner of the National Civics Bee, right? There's actually prizes at every round of the competition. So okay. whether you make it to a local, state, or the national level, there are cash prizes available. In the national round, the finalists are competing for more than $50,000 worth of prizes. Wow. Wow. Uh, and obviously, while kids will enter for the chance to win and and be recognized and the prizes don't hurt, uh, the real prize, as you were mentioning, as you were alluding to earlier, is in <clears throat> is in the recognition of the impact and the importance of civics education, not only you know, at every level from, from the community on up to the, the country as a whole. Absolutely. We're seeing a real crisis when it comes to civic knowledge in our country. And the National Civic Sea is a fun, engaging way to reach young people as well as adults, the business community, educators, elected officials, and others in really elevating civics as a national priority and increasing those civic knowledge and skills and dispositions across the country. And I think it's so important that you are targeting this uh, emphasis on civics education at the middle school level. I mean, I remember when I was that age, that's when we were first introduced to the concepts of civics. And it's something that has stuck with me uh, through, you know, my lifetime. And it's really, I, I'm imagining, because this is the third annual in the past, one of the things you find out is that kids at this age do have a a pretty good grasp on the issues that impact their community. I'm sure that you've gotten a lot of entries uh, that have been uh, pretty impressive for the understanding that kids at this level uh, have. That's exactly right. We through the essays, you know, as I mentioned, sixth, seventh, and eighth graders write a 500 word or less essay about an issue in their community. Right. And it's been really incredible to see how much they're aware of what's going on in their communities and their states. And it's pretty well aligned with the, the issues that adults are concerned about as well. You mm-hmm. know, anything from mental health, homelessness, transportation, infrastructure, the quality of public education and more. And, you know, they have some really great ideas. And the, the adults and the elected officials are starting to pay attention to what these middle schoolers have to say. Yeah, and and then uh, giving them that knowledge that 
that when they recognize these problems that it is possible to do something about it and that's really what the uh, national civics bee is all about now you mentioned uh that the uh registration people can register uh now and ohio is one of the states that is participating so where do students and parents and uh shout out to educators as well who want to introduce this to their students where do they get more information how do they apply give us kind of the process here sure so whether you're a student a parent an educator you can go to nationalcivicsb.org to learn more about the competitions. As I mentioned, you'll see a map that highlights the 27 states that are currently participating. You can type in your zip code, see the competition closest to you. There's a link, apply now. You'll click on that, submit your essay. And from there, the essays will be scored. The top 20 scoring essays, those students will be invited to compete at the local level. And again, you mentioned the deadline to register is coming up uh, first week of January, right? That's right. The submission window closes on January 8th. Okay. And there's more information about that at nationalcivicsb.org. And I can also share that the local competitions will start to take place February through April, and the state competitions then take place May through August. And the national round will be in November 2024. Awesome stuff. Uh, Again, Hillary Crow is vice president of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce Foundation with information on the third annual National Civics Bee coming up in 2024. Hillary, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Great. Thank you for having me. Well, of course, we just observed Veterans Day, and when we think of veterans, we imagine those who are combat veterans the first thing first thing that comes to mind of course but just as relevant and heroic are those who serve in many other capacities um and as as an example uniformed public health officers and those who were deployed to respond during natural disasters or public health crises the commission core of the u.s public health service is one of eight uniformed services that play a critical role in protecting our nation's health and the library of congress veterans history project is seeking to tell and preserve their stories joining us is monica mahindra program coordinator of the veterans history project and monica first of all for those who don't know The Veterans History Project has been an ongoing program at the Library of Congress for more than 20 years now, right? That's correct. It was officially uh, mandated by Congress and signed into law in October of 2000. We currently have over 117,000 individual stories of veterans who served for the U.S. from World War I through the recent conflicts. We have their first-person remembrances growing at a rate of about 200 a month. Talk a little bit about what this collection includes, because this is uh, aimed at being a a sort of a living history of uh, the legacy of these veterans. Absolutely. It is here at the Library of Congress, and it is living because so often we're hearing directly from the veterans themselves, either through audio or video interviews available on the library's website or in the library's reading room. So the Library of Congress website is loc.gov forward slash vet, V-E-T-S. And so it is a living legacy because you can hear directly either their voice or see the first-person documentation of their experience through their original photographs, letters, diaries, journals, Mm. that sort of thing. But it is also a living legacy Because when we witness these stories, whether firsthand through helping to collect them across the country and and there in Ohio as well, or by witnessing them through the website, through the collections we already have, we are informing ourselves about our connection to our collective history and the human scale and scope of U.S. service from World War I through the more recent conflicts. Those legacies can go on to inform movies and exhibits, you know, magazine articles, that sort of thing. 
And I, one of the cool things about this, and I think it's worth uh, underscoring, it really speaks to what we were talking about uh, in the lead up here, is that this is all inclusive. Every veteran from every branch, every rank who served at any point in any capacity is eligible to participate because every story counts. That's correct. Every story counts. And it's incumbent on the rest of us who maybe didn't serve to ensure that that message is is broadcast as it is through you to your listeners, but from listener to listener, because we all have veterans who served in some capacity from World War One through the recent conflicts for the U.S. in our lives, whether we always recognize it or not. Yeah. And I think a lot of times many veterans will say, well, my story is not all that important. It's not significant. It's not heroic. But uh, again, this is for every veteran because all of those stories are significant and important. And even as we were mentioning, those who... Uh, oftentimes go overlooked for the the type of service that they provide or the the, the sty- type of service that that they experience. And your example of the Commission Corps of the U.S. Public Health Service is a great example for explaining why we need to move past what our vision in our head, if we close our eyes and we imagine who a veteran is, we might be informed by books or movies or TV shows, but It's really such a broad perspective. There are between 19 and 20 million living veterans amongst us. And to those veterans that you are thinking of that say, I, you know, I didn't do anything important. I challenge them to also participate, help gather the veteran story of the veteran you think is important because who better to do it, whether you are a veteran or somebody who didn't serve. Who better than you who recognizes that veteran service to ensure that they're part of this important national repository? And to that end, we mentioned the Commission Corps. You're actually making a concerted effort to uh, get the message out uh, that these individuals need to be included in this project, too, and to have those individuals reach out to you to share their stories. Absolutely. We have within our 117,000 collections and, you know, 200 a month growing, there are service members who served in the capacity of the Commission Corps of U.S. Public Health Service or others who served in support of emergency public health, disaster relief and recovery, mm-hmm. things like folks who participated on the ship USS Comfort and Mercy or in support of Hurricanes Rita, Katrina, Sandy. These members of our service population are protecting us uh, through their activities all the time, including today, those commissioned core officers who are over uh, dealing with the Ebola crisis right as it happened. Their work is still protecting us here uh, in our country right. today. And it's so important to get that full story. I, I was going to say, uh, it doesn't take much to you know we saw over the past couple three years just how important uh these individuals are that uh, help protect our public health uh so you know no uh big shock there no it doesn't take a big sell job to to understand why these people are very important we've seen it firsthand so how do veterans uh of all walks all shapes and sizes uh reach out and become a part of this It's as simple as going to our website, loc.gov forward slash vet. And there you'll find a brief video that walks you through the process, our field kit that has the required forms to become part of the archive. Uh, There's even sample questions to help motivate the interview forward. A little bit of inspiration, definitely some instruction and some information And it's really as simple as either sitting down and gathering your own first-person remembrances, or better yet, sit with a veteran in your life and help them 
gather these uh, important perspectives so that we can all benefit from them. And they, uh, all of these uh, stories uh, deserve to be preserved for future generations. And this, like we said, is an ongoing project, so uh, it's not something you have to do today, tomorrow, next week, next month. Uh, there's no real deadline, but just do it. Uh, make sure that you do it. Again, uh, Monica Mahindra is Program Coordinator for the Veterans History Project for the Library of Congress. Mention again the website where folks can get more information? Here at the Library of Congress, we think this is a great time heading into the holidays to go to LOC, short for Library of Congress, dot gov, short for government, forward slash vet, to sit down and learn more about the veterans and service members uh, that walk amongst us all. Monica, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. We really appreciate the spotlight on this effort. Have a great day. You're listening to Good Mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. So have you ever uh, gotten a package delivery that was meant for someone else? I think that's that's probably happened to all of us at, at one point uh, or another. You know, you've find something on the doorstep that uh, was supposed to be delivered to a neighbor or um i i know um uh, a friend of mine uh, lives on a street that shares a name with an avenue in the other part of uh, uh in a different part of town where he lives he's like park street and then there's a park avenue or whatever and sometimes those get it happens but uh not often does it happen Is there this big of a mix-up? A Massachusetts woman couldn't believe her eyes when a FedEx package delivered to her office contained $20,000 worth of lottery scratch-off tickets. (laughs) Danielle Alexandrov was uh, opening packages when she came across a very heavy box, and she couldn't figure out what it might be. Uh, She at first thought it was a joke, uh, but then she looked inside, and it was $20,000 worth of scratch-off lottery tickets. Um, the scratch-offs were supposed to be delivered to a nearby liquor store that sells lottery tickets. Um, but instead, <laughs> got misdelivered. She had $20,000 worth of scratch-off lottery tickets. Uh, she decided that uh, she wasn't going to scratch them off and, and claim them. She took them down to the uh, intended recipient, the uh, manager of the uh, liquor store. And actually, it, it turns out it was a good good decision because even if she had scratched them all off and had a big like million-dollar winner, wouldn't have mattered because uh, they have to be activated by an authorized retailer before they are valid. And so... Even if she had had a you know million dollar winner tried to cash it in, wouldn't have worked because tickets wouldn't have been properly activated by a licensed lottery retailer, according to the state lottery commission. But <laughs> can you imagine <laughs> opening up and seeing twenty thousand dollars worth of lottery tickets? I wonder if the uh, I wonder if the lottery uh, retailer, the liquor store. At, at least bought her a couple of the lottery tickets, you know? <laughs> Give her some reward for turning those in. Uh, elsewhere in the uh, broken news, maybe uh, you don't want to uh, win big with the lottery, as it turns out. A man who won the $1.35 billion Mega Millions jackpot is suing his ex-girlfriend for telling his family members that he won. (laughs) The resident of Maine, who anonymously claimed the jackpot earlier this year, $1.35 billion, uh, filed a lawsuit claiming that his ex-girlfriend breached an agreement that they had to keep the win confidential. And there are a lot of good reasons why you don't want word to get out that you won... $1.3 $1.3 billion in the lottery. Because people come out of the woodwork wanting, you know, gifts and loans and, hey, can you lend me some money? You know, all of that. Yeah, there's all kinds of reasons. Uh, the lawsuit says 
he and his ex signed a non-disclosure agreement, but she ended up telling his father and stepmother about the jackpot win. Uh, the That may be why they are now ex. Boyfriend, girlfriend. The man is asking the woman to give him the name of every person she's told and pay a $100,000 fine for each violation of the non-disclosure agreement. Wow. I've heard of it, you know, a lot of times, um, you know, people win the lottery and it's not the windfall that you might think it is. And uh, there is a perfect example. Elsewhere in the uh, broken news, a couple of stories about Florida people doing Florida things. Police are searching for a suspect who allegedly stole a public bus and drove it to a Whole Foods location. (laughs) The uh, bus driver was on break about 945 in the evening on Friday when the suspect hopped on the bus, drove off, and later abandoned the vehicle on a uh, interstate on-ramp across from the local Whole Whole Foods (laughs) in the uh, city of Miami. Police searched the Whole Foods location for the person in question, but were unable to locate the individual. The investigation is ongoing. (laughs) Well, you know, you got to get the Whole Foods. You got to get the Whole Foods by whatever means necessary, I guess. Um... But this one takes the cake. A Florida woman with outstanding warrants called the police to report that her marijuana was stolen. (laughs) Can you imagine being on the receiving end of that call? Hello, 911. Yes, my marijuana has been stolen. Uh, Lily Rinker called 911 to report the theft. $30 worth of weed. (laughs) 911 operator promptly dispatched authorities, and once they arrived, the responding officer realized Ms. Rinker had open warrants in Palm Beach County, and so apparently she had failed to show show up in court twice, uh, and so there were warrants out for her arrest. She was taken into custody and is being held without bond. Uh, in Florida, by the way, one needs a medical marijuana card in order to possess marijuana. It is unclear if Ms. Rinker will face an additional charge for possession. But I, she shouldn't be uh, charged with possession of marijuana because it was stolen. She didn't have it. That was the whole point of her calling in the first place. Someone stole my marijuana. <laughs> Speaking of uh, pot stories, a California man is in jail in Nebraska after the state patrol says they found more than 100 pounds of weed in his car. 100 pounds! Trooper says they saw the car driving on the shoulder of the road on Interstate 80, and that raised some suspicion, so they pulled the car over. The trooper said there was an immediate odor of pot coming from the car. And so they did a search. That gave them probable cause to do a search where they recovered several trash bags and a duffel bag full of marijuana in the car. (laughs) Now, mind you, marijuana is not legal in Nebraska. I looked it up. It is not medical marijuana, recreational marijuana, none of it. It is all illegal. And it may be legal in California where the guy was from, but not in uh, Nebraska. We don't take too kindly here these parts to that sort of behavior. And even where it is legal, 100 pounds is way more than you're allowed to than you're allowed to uh, have. The uh, driver was arrested, charged with possession with intent to distribute. And uh, he has been uh, safely lodged in the York County Jail there in Nebraska. Probably still wondering what the heck happened. A hundred pounds of marijuana. There you go. Uh, That is uh, today's broken news report. An update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines. 
we now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Hello, I'm Jerry Stewart. Join me here on this station for my special Thanksgiving program, Hard Times, Thankful Hearts. It's a program full of stories of people who've spent their biggest part of their lives suffering hardships, but chose to live a happy life and to share their happiness with others. It's a powerful story of hope and suffering and peace and faith. Please join me. Listen to this Jerry Stewart holiday special, Thanksgiving Day at Noon, on WFIN and 95.5 FM. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. The American Farm Bureau Federation is out with their annual survey of the cost of a, a traditional Thanksgiving feast. The cost of hosting a Thanksgiving dinner for 10 people. Uh, they do this every year, and they have for, oh, golly, I guess um, three or four decades now. They've done this for, for many, many years. And uh, a lot of data here, a lot of numbers to you know break down for you. The good news is that the cost of hosting Thanksgiving for 10 people this year is 4.5% lower as compared to last year's Thanksgiving. So we're actually getting a break. But... There is an asterisk there, although the cost um, is down from last year's record high, it is still about 25% higher than the cost was in 2019, so pre-pandemic, still much higher than that, obviously, food, uh, high supply costs, inflation on food prices and everything since the uh, pandemic. We know, know it's very well documented in the news about the price of food, so that is... Uh, reflective in the in the numbers here, but it is down four and a half percent this year as compared to uh, last year. The average price is sixty one dollars and seventeen cents. Sixty one seventeen is the national cost. And by the way, uh, the way they do this, they actually have volunteers that check food prices in stores in all fifty states, as well as online. And in Puerto Rico, they actually uh, take that into it. So all 50 states, Puerto Rico, and uh, they search online for uh, traditional items. Turkey, stuffing, sweet potatoes, rolls, peas, cranberries, a vegetable tray, pumpkin pie with whipped cream, coffee, and milk. Those are the traditional items. And then they total it all together and average it out $61.17 for, so it's about $6.20 a person. Uh, last year it was sixty four oh five, so it is a break. But uh, in twenty twenty one, it was fifty three dollars and thirty one cents, and in twenty nineteen, it was even less expensive than that. So, yeah, make of that what you will. But we do get a break now. When you break down the individual items, seven of the eleven items saw a price decrease, including the turkey along with cubed stuffing, frozen peas, cranberries, pie shells, whipping cream, and whole milk. Four items rose in price year over year. That would be the relish tray, the veggie tray, sweet potatoes, dinner rolls, and pumpkin pie mix. Uh, It says here, over the past two decades, the turkey has accounted for an average of 43% of the price of Thanksgiving dinner, according to the survey. Uh, that has been a slight increase uh, over time, an average of 43%. In 2023, a 16-pound frozen whole turkey accounts for 45% of the classic Thanksgiving basket at $27.35. That is a 5.6% decrease from 2022. So that is the main driver of the drop in, in prices. Um as far as the largest percentage decrease, prices uh, products with the largest percentage drop in prices include whipping cream uh, with a decrease of 22.8%. It's nearly 23% cheaper than it was last year. And fresh cranberries are 18.3% cheaper this year than they were last year. Of all of the items surveyed this year, the largest increase is in pumpkin pie mix at 3.8% and dinner rolls, 
which increased 3%. So those were the biggest price increases. By the way, this uh, as a sidebar, back during, they do this for the 4th of July too. You know, hosting a 4th of July picnic and the price of buns was one of the biggest uh, increases. So when you're seeing dinner rolls at Thanksgiving, kind of the same thing, bread products. So kind of uh, interesting. And regionally, now we talk about the uh, fact that it's $61.17 to host uh, Thanksgiving dinner for 10 people nationally. But the cost by region is a little bit different. In the north Northeast, it is the most expensive. It's $64.38. But in the Midwest, where we are, we are the cheapest part uh, of the country, the cheapest region of the country, uh, at $58.66. So we are uh, well below the national average for the cost of Thanksgiving dinner here in the Midwest. One more thing to give thanks for, I guess. As we mentioned earlier, it would not be Thanksgiving without an, the annual Turkey Trot 5K at the Women's Resource Center. And joining us this morning, uh, Cody Anmis, uh and also uh, Paul Addy with Chick-fil-A is the presenting sponsor of the 13th annual uh, Turkey Trot 5K and uh, obviously coming up on uh, Thanksgiving morning, right? Yeah. So uh, give us all of the details on that, first of all. Yeah, details for the event. So the race day, Thursday morning, Thanksgiving, before you uh, go home and get all filled up with, with was, turkey and I stuff. I it's like a preemptive strike against uh, all of the calories you're going to be taking in. It, it really, really is. It's uh, it's probably a bad habit, but we love it. So Thanksgiving morning race starts at 9 a.m. Mm-hmm. at St. Michael the Archangel Parish. Mm-hmm. Doors open at 7 30 a.m. So be there a little early. That way you can kind of get your spot in line if you'd like to. Mm -hmm. The course goes throughout the uh, kind of the country club estates back there in that neighborhood. Yeah. And uh, prizes go to the top 30 female and top 30 male finishers. Not a timed race, but we do uh, track where you finish. So uh, and uh, Chick-fil-A becoming involved uh, with this event because it is such a uh, terrific thing for the uh, community a lot of fun for the community but also for a good cause as well yeah so we've been doing it for five years now mm-hmm. uh and we've uh, always enjoyed doing this event so this year we decided to amp it up a little more and take on packet pickup so instead of being at dave's running we're actually doing it this year through our drive through okay so that'll be tomorrow between three and seven and then wednesday between 11 a.m and 7 p.m you could come through i'm hoping to have some additional times we could do that if we could get the stuff over there so just stay tuned to our social media uh, yeah. on our Facebook page uh, or on our Instagram at CFA Finley. Should mention, uh, with that, brings up the point, today is actually the uh, deadline for pre-registration, for the early registration, right? Yes, that's correct. So still uh, $35 if you sign up today. If you okay. sign up after today, so tomorrow, or you can sign up all the way through race morning, you can. Just a late fee is going to be added. Yeah, I was going to mention, you can actually, if you wake up that morning and feel so motivated exactly. uh, that you want to sign up that day, you can. That's and, right. As you mentioned, it's it's for the for the fun of it mostly um it's not a, a time to race and i think a lot of a lot of folks just do that come out with the family and the the whole thing that's right it's become a tradition for a lot of people mm-hmm. a lot of people like to come out they bring their dogs they bring their strollers they bring a whole <laughs> family and and you can walk it you can run it do whatever you'd like it's competitive for some people for some people right. just a fun morning and might i add that the weather it's starting to look really good for yeah. Thanksgiving morning. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe a little cool, but you want it a little cool. You exactly. don't want to run in the heat. So Absolutely. yeah, it's a, and uh, given the fact that so many families uh, participate, is such a, a family thing. Again, one of the other uh, cool things for uh, Chick Fil A to be involved. Oh, absolutely. So we're very family focused, and so obviously that's just that natural kind of piece of the pie, so yeah. to speak. <laughs> so to speak. Uh, so how do folks uh, sign up? What's the uh, process? Yeah, if folks so. Are register? Uh, Turkey Trot has a Facebook page. That's probably one of the best ways to get information. Uh, it's also on the website at WRC. A lot of area churches do do promoting as well. Uh, but if you just Google Turkey Trot and Finley, you're probably going to come across it in some way. Mm-hmm. My encouragement would be to go to the Facebook page, WRC Turkey Trot. Which we have uh, linked up on our webpage, by the way, at uh, goodmornings.net. If you want to find it real quickly, that's a uh, we've got the link posted there. And again, as we mentioned, uh, benefit for the uh, Women's Resource Center and 
And uh, over the years, uh, this has raised some uh, terrific funds for the programs that they provide. We can't thank the community enough. Uh, I mean, WRC, a fantastic organization in the community that provides the tagline is help for today and hope for tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And the way that the staff likes to provide just that for their visitors is uh, through a lot of different um, responses around crisis. So a lot of uh, young women, young families that might be facing a tough decision in life, uh, WRC likes to come alongside them with a ton of, of great resources, um, uh, pregnancy testing, ultrasounds, parenting classes, mentoring, so many other things. And uh, everything's free and confidential as well, right there on Main Street. It, it is a terrific uh, resource for uh, especially young women who mm-hmm. find themselves in crisis, nowhere to turn. That's so, a, yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, sometimes you get a little bit of, uh, of backlash from your family. You get mm-hmm. that from your friends, sure. maybe a little bit of shunning even. Mm-hmm. And so right across from the University of Finley there on North Main Street is where WRC is located. And again, uh, one of the new things that we're kind of started doing this year is, is we have we can offer free ultrasounds on site for, for young ladies. And that's mm-hmm. been a really big thing uh, beginning this year, and, and it's going to be going forward as well. Yeah. Uh, so again, for those who have already signed up, uh, Paul, as you mentioned, uh, the uh, packet pickup is going to be at Chick-fil-A. That's correct. So yeah, so again, those uh, dates will be tomorrow between 3 and 7 p.m. And then on Wednesday, 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. And if you haven't signed up yet, you can actually come inside. Won't be able to do that through the drive-thru, but we'll have a table set up in there where you guys can get your uh, late sign-ups in so you can still enjoy the fun. So when you uh, come in for lunch, you can go ahead and sign up. Exactly. All right, very good. Uh, We've got a link, as we mentioned, uh, to the uh, Facebook page with more information and the uh, sign-up link uh, for the uh, Turkey Trot 5K 13th Annual. When you started, you thought... 13 years and do this every year. So I mean, you keep growing things, and growing. Yeah. yeah, you start things on a whim sometimes. I wasn't super involved with the organization back then yeah. uh, just because I'm I'm newer to Finley uh, in the last decade or so. But we've seen it grow over the last several years, yeah. which has been really cool. Like I mentioned, it's this tradition for the family. Maybe it's a, a you know, I should probably run before I stuff myself later. <laughs> exactly. But hey, either way, come on out and support. Uh, again, goodmornings.net to learn more. And uh, Cody Amnes and uh, Paul Addy. With uh, Chick-fil-A with us uh, this morning. Thanks very much for dropping by, guys. We appreciate it. It's our pleasure. Great way to uh, kick off your Thanksgiving. And that will finish up our podcast for today. want to thank all of our guests for program, of course. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the show at our webpage. That, of course, goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow morning on the program, it's the perfect thriller to curl up with on a cold winter's night by the fire. Master storyteller and best-selling author David Baldacci will join us once again to talk about his latest novel, The Edge. So until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.